Well, if you're there in John, the Gospel of John, I want to read in John 16 just a couple verses in a moment. Um, this morning, our plan, we're, gonna, we're getting, continuing our series in the Apostles' Creed. Today, it's I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's a very simple statement, but a very profound truth. And so we're going to unpack that from the Gospel of John today in John 14. And, uh, and so we'll, we'll be working in there. And then at the end of the service today, we have an opportunity to hear from Roger Ganji, who's going to give us a, an update, a report on the ministry of the Gideons and seeing God's word go around the world. And so that's the, that's the plan for this morning. But, but we are in John 14. As I've said, this is the challenge each week as we've been in this study on the Apostles' Creed. There are so many passages that we could, we could look at to talk about the Holy Spirit. And, and so we ha- I have to pick one. And this is the one where the Lord just seemed to be directing me this, uh, this last week or two as I've been thinking about this. But this passage falls in the part of John's Gospel account that we call the Upper Room Discourse. So Jesus is gathered in this room with his disciples, huddled together just before he's about to be delivered over to be crucified and is going to is going to be departing from them. And so the disciples are struggling. Their their souls are in turmoil. That's very apparent as they look in this in these in these chapters in John's gospel and they as they all they all that they see is darkness. They see despair as Jesus is laying before them things that are about to happen. And so he's told them that one of them is going to betray him. Peter's going to deny him. Jesus is going to be crucified. They are going to be intensely persecuted in the days ahead. And 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 so Jesus can he can read this growing sense of panic in the disciples. And so he comforts them. He comforts their their troubled hearts and and one of the main ways that he does that in these chapters here is is by helping them understand the helper that Jesus will send to them. The Holy Spirit. This is His great comfort. In the upper room that night, Jesus just keeps coming back again and again to the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so you see in John chapter 16, I just want to read two verses here. John 16, verse 6 and verse 7. And so Jesus says, Because I have said these things to you, these things that that He's going to be denied, He's going to be uh, abandoned, He's going to be crucified, They're going to be persecuted. Because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And so this is is what we're seeing this morning. So, uh, just to kind of help set us up, where uh, again, there's so many ways in which we could go in talking about the Spirit today. Uh, um, this is not going to be some systematic theology lesson where we just walk through, you know, bullet points of this is true about the Holy Spirit and this is true. But I, I want us to do something a little different there, and and, and just to set it up. Uh, I, I enjoy reading history and I enjoy studying history, uh, but I am far from being a history buff, whatever that exactly means. Um, I know some of you are. I've seen some of your libraries. Taylor Thorne's got a great uh, history library. And so if you're ever looking for anything, he's your guy. Um, but I, I tend to have a lot of trouble remembering specific, uh, keeping things track in my mind. Specific dates, events, people, places, which is kind of important when you're talking about history. Uh, at least my history teachers always thought so. 
Um, and so those, those things can get kind of scrambled up in my brain and, and get distorted. So the other day, just a little example, this is my random little rabbit trail thoughts this week. Um, the other day we were making plans for a meal actually that Brooke was taking some folks into Atlanta yesterday, talking where to eat, going Ponce City Market was a possibility, which is on Ponce de Leon Avenue. So later I'm thinking, what was he famous for again, Ponce de Leon? And some of you are like, you're an idiot. Uh, I know. But, but I, I knew he was an explorer of some kind, and, and I couldn't remember exactly when and where and all of that. And so Google, thank you, bailed me out. I, I was quickly reminded that he was famous for going into Florida and exploring, first European to really explore uh, through the swamp down there. And uh, okay, yeah, like you knew that. But anyway, um, I know I had to learn that as a kid. And I probably had to learn that in college, relearn it in college to pass, you know, those basic history exams. Um, but I have had trouble retaining knowledge uh, like that because, why? Because it doesn't really make much of an impact on my life. And so I can forget how the whole territory of Florida was settled. But I do know how this tiny little scrap of land in northeastern Oklahoma was settled. I know details about that. My great-great-grandfather, Milton Billington, who was a Miami Indian, was given a land grant by the U.S. government on March 27, 1890, uh, signed by President Benjamin Harrison. And I have it hanging on my wall in my house. And so I'm quite confident that many of you knew about Ponce de Leon and the, the Florida, but I don't think anybody in here knew about that little tiny parcel of land in northeastern Oklahoma. Why? Because it has no bearing on your life. It's the opposite for me, though. So when you have a personal connection to a person or event or a place, you care a lot more about it because it's had a major impact on your life, upon your story. And so I say all that because we've been going through the Apostles' Creed, this this ancient summary of, of Christian doctrine, 1,600-year-old summary of Christian theology. And, and we've been talking recently about a, a lot of facts about Jesus Christ and the, and the history and the, uh, of Christ in the creed here. So he's conceived, born, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, buried. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. And so it's, it's possible... For all of those facts about Christ, those facts of history about Jesus Christ, to be to someone like Ponce de Leon was the first person to discover Florida is to me. First European, not first person to discover Florida is to me. Because if it it remains outside of you, if you have no personal connection to Christ, then all of those facts lose their power to actually change your life. I say all of that because today we come to this part of the Apostles' Creed where we confess our faith in the Holy Spirit. And what we find is the Holy Spirit is the one who makes and who forges this personal connection between you and Jesus Christ. He makes it your story. Because the, between, the facts, uh, between the facts of His life, that history, and, and, and your life so that it actually changes you. That's, that's one of the great ministries of the Spirit. This is why He was sent. And so we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's a very short, simple confession. Uh, b- 
but it's loaded with truth. It's the very tip of a, a massive uh, iceberg of biblical revelation. And so we're going to walk through some of the things that we see about the Holy Spirit here in John chapter 14. And so back up to John 14, and we're going to start in verse 15. And the first thing that we're going to see, and this is, this is like theology 101. I, I know there's no, nothing profound in this statement, but it's so important to see. And this is the, the wonder of that passage in Joel, is when the Spirit comes, we can say, first of all, we believe in the Holy Spirit who is God. Who is God. I know we take that for granted, but let's not. So verse 15. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Let me just pause there and clarify a couple of things that I think sometimes get confused in this text. And, and there's a couple other places, verse 21, 23, 24, where, where we see this. There's this, this close relationship between love and obedience and receiving the Spirit. It runs throughout this passage. And, and so it can almost seem like he's saying that obedience is the condition upon which we receive the Spirit. Is that what he's saying? So if you believe in me, I'm not going to give you my Spirit. But if you do some things, yes, then I'll give you my Spirit. Is that what Jesus is saying? No way. Everyone who trusts in Jesus receives the Spirit. That's so clear in Scripture. This isn't a warning. This isn't a threat. This is a, a promise that's intended for the comfort of the disciples. And so he's saying the Spirit is going to be the one who's asked for by the Son, sent by the Father, and he's going to make and forge this new and loving, faith-rooted relationship with Christ that's going to express itself in obedience. And he's going to work that in us, and he's going to see that grow in us. That's, what that's, that's the connection of those things. Now, I'm going to say that and then I'm going to quickly move on because our focus is, is what is this exactly teaching about the Spirit and so in verse 16 we see Jesus the Son is the one who asks the Father and the Father is the one who sends the Spirit so in that way the Spirit is He comes from both the Father and the Son if you just turn over look across the page probably in John 15 verse 26 this becomes even clearer when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about me. Just a little grammar there. But that pro- proceeds, that's present tense. That means the Spirit didn't begin to proceed when Jesus asked the Father or when, sent, when the Father sent Him, but that He exists and He proceeds eternally from the Father. And that's the, that's the way theologians have talked about this. So the Apostles' Creed is the, the earliest, simplest statement of the Christian faith. And there was an expansion of that in the 4th century. It's called the Nicene Creed. And we've quoted this earlier in, the, in this study as we, we saw the person of Jesus Christ begotten of the Father. But in, just listen to the, the, the language that that creed states, which is, is trying to sum up what the Bible teaches about the Spirit and how he relates to the Father and the Son. He says, this, the creed says, We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. That's great. So the Spirit's not created. He's God. He's eternal. He, but, but within the Trinity, with the, the relationship between the members of the Trinity, the, the Son is begotten of the Father. The Spirit is, 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 proceeds from the Father and the Son. 
But what I want you to see is what that makes crystal clear in John 14, 15, 16 here in this Nicene Creed is that the Spirit is divine. Just as God, as, just as much, He's just as much God as the Father, as the Son. Yet He's distinct from them. This is the doctrine of the Trinity. We have, there's one God, this one eternal God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet each person is fully God. How do we get our minds wrapped around that? We can't. Welcome to the worship of an infinite being. But, but Jesus here, he says, we see this, even he's making the point even clearer. He says the Spirit is, is this helper. He calls him another helper, verse 16. Now, the word another, we've talked about this before. There, there are two Greek words for our English word, another. Uh, and so one means another of a different kind. One means another of the same kind. And so if you came to me and said, you know, I think I'm going to pursue another profession, another career. I'm no longer going to make chicken sandwiches. I'm going to be, you know, a commercial fisherman or something like that. Um, so that's another of a different kind. But if, if Brooke makes a big pot of soup and I say, ooh, that was really good, can I have another helping? It's, it's another of the same kind. It's coming, it's the same stuff, just more of it. And, and, and so this is what Jesus is saying when he says, I'm going to send another helper. It's another helper of the same kind. It's the same. It's the same essence, a helper of the same kind as Jesus. He's God. That's what he's saying. And he's a helper. He's a he's comforter. He's the word means comforter, advocate, counselor. It's a, it's a legal word. It was, it was used in, if you were being sued or something, you have a close friend who would come and testify on your behalf. Stand with you, support you, to, to, to give testimony, advocacy, counsel, encouragement, just help. And so Jesus, this is what he's doing, and this is where we pull it in. Jesus is comforting his disciples and us with this reality. The Son will ask the Father... The Father will send the Spirit to be another helper of the same kind, to, to be God with us, as we're going to see in us. The Holy Spirit of God is your helper, brothers and sisters. Therefore, you, can, you have this infinite source of power and strength upon which you can draw. Do, do you have, listen, do you have some deep-seated pain, hurt in your life, that you feel like will, will never be healed. Listen, your helper is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God. Do you have, do you have mistakes in your life that, that just still haunt you to the day and you feel like you're never going to be, be free from them? Listen, you, your helper is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God. Do you have sin patterns that you struggle with today? Habits that you struggle with today that you're, you think you're never going to ever be free from? Your helper is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God. There's nothing He cannot do in your life. Nothing. And, and there's a flip side to that. Because He's God, there's nothing that you can make Him do in your life. He's not a genie in the bottle that you can call at your command. No, He's just as sovereign as God the Father. He's just as sovereign as God the Son, which means you and I are just as dependent upon Him, which is a glorious, glorious reality. So we believe in the Holy Spirit. This is foundational, who is God. Secondly, we believe in the Holy Spirit who will be in us forever. So He says, 
Jesus says, He will give you the Father, will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, we'll come back to that, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. So the world can't receive the Spirit because the world doesn't see the Spirit, doesn't know the Spirit. But Jesus says to His disciples, you do know Him. You know Him. How? They can't see Him either. I mean, the Spirit's invisible. You can't feel Him. You can't touch Him. You can't taste Him. You can't uh, smell Him. You can't see the other one. Hear Him audibly. Uh, Nevertheless, Jesus says, "You, you know Him. For He dwells with you and He will be in you. He dwells with you. He's already, he's already working among the, dis, the disciples. They already knew something of the special enablement that He gives to them. And they experienced that already. But Jesus said, a day is coming when He will not only be with you, but will actually be in you. In you. And Eric alluded to this in a reading earlier. In verse 19, we get a, a little more insight into that day. Jesus says, in that day you will see me because I live you also will live. Now what's he, what's he talking about? Jesus is alive as he's saying that. So, so what is he saying? He's talking about when he rises from the dead. He's saying when I rise from the dead, I will pour out my spirit. And it happens at Pentecost. And, and the spirit that gives life to my dead body will give resurrection life to you. He's, he's looking to the spirit. So the spirit, so this is what I want you to see. This, that's first. Spirit's God. He has He has all the power of God within himself. He's not like a little lesser lesser version of the Father and the Son. No, he's God. But he's not just working outside of us. No, this is what Jesus promises us. He's working now in us. That's that's incredible. So he's not only out... If he's only outside of us, he can change our circumstances. He can change our situation... And if we're honest, that's what we want most of the time, isn't it? I I don't know if it's because that's all we think that He can do, but this is what we're really looking for. Lord, change my life. Change the stuff around me. Change them. Change this. Change my job. change, Change the situation. Change the sickness. Change whatever. But because the Spirit of God is in you, not only can He change your circumstances, He can actually change you. He can, and He will. And He will, and He does. So if you struggle with that persistent sin, that, that, that bad habit, uh, how can the Spirit help you? Well, I, I guess He could take the temptation away from you and remove, remove that from you, but He doesn't usually do that. There's another option, and it's the one He usually does. And it's that He begins to change you. And He works through the circumstances, and He uses all of the heat and pressures of life to begin to change us from the inside. And so, brothers and sisters, listen. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in you permanently, intimately, powerfully. Now, I don't know how you, if you just, if you were kind of thinking, if you could get outside of yourself and look in on your life and say, and, and, and kind of evaluate what sort of spiritual vibrancy there is in your life and and you know how on fire you are for God, or what the experience of of the Spirit and of the Christian life is in your life right now. I don't know how you feel. Maybe you maybe you would look, and, and, and if you're honest, say, yeah, it's just kind of ho hum right now. There's just there's not there's not a lot of fire. I'm, I just kind of feel flatlined, feel deflated. But by faith, 
when we confess, I believe in the Holy Spirit, we are affirming that the Spirit of God is dwelling in us fully. It doesn't matter essentially how we feel. I don't mean to minimize the experience and, and I'm not trying to, 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 to make little of, of, of what your perce- perception of your experience is right now with the Lord, but the reality is God's Spirit dwells in you. And that never changes. He's not in and out depending on how well you do with your quiet times that week. He's, he's present. He's permanent. He's, he's intimately in you. He's working in you. He's, he's comforting you. He's helping you. He's restoring you. He's sustaining you. He's sanctifying you. He's just constantly at work powerfully in you. There is a ton going on inside of you. No matter what it feels like as you're sitting in that chair this morning. Third. So the spirit, we, the spirit that we're confessing when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, He's God, He is in us, and He's in us forever, and that doesn't change. And then third, we affirm, we believe the Holy Spirit who brings us into God's family. And this is a big part of what Jesus is getting at in this upper room discourse. You see it very simply stated in verse 18. Jesus gives him this promise, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, I mean, orphans, it is this, it's this moving picture of aloneness, isn't it? Vulnerability, helplessness. And so we, ha- we have been rescued, we've been ransomed, pulled out of this cosmic orphanage and brought into the family of God. We are with Him. And, and so let's look down to verse 20. In that day, listen to this, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. That's a lot of ins. Just let that soak in your soul for a moment. This could have been the whole sermon right here. I mean, this is, this is incredible. Our triune God who has existed in perfect relationship and love and glory for all eternity. We've talked about him, uh, not just in this series, but we have. It's, it's this kind of, the Trinity is like this cosmic dance within the Godhead where there's this overflow of perfection and joy and gladness and gratitude and glory and, and goodness. And it's, this, it's for all eternity. And, and we're not invited into the Trinity. We don't become fourth members of the Trinity, but we're invited into fellowship with the Godhead. And, and we, we, the Holy Spirit, He brings us into the family of God where there's this overflow of that eternal joy and gladness and grace and peace that the Trinity has been experiencing for all eternity and we get to be brought into that. That's great. And, and this becomes, listen, this becomes the new identity marker for your life. And nobody can take that away. Again, you, you can perceive yourself, but I don't know how other people are looking at your life and, and, and things that, you, that they think are, are missing in your life or things that are lacking or things you think are lacking in your life. Listen, you are an adopted child of God if you are in Christ. You are brought into God's family. And how does that happen? It's through the Holy Spirit. Everything else can be taken from me. That cannot. I am Brooke's husband, and we have been married for almost 22 years now. I think that's right. <laughs> Not good at math on my feet. <laughs> now, I'm hoping we have 30 or 40 more years. 
I love her, and she loves me, I think. And she's, she's sticking with me, so... Uh, no, I... But I can't control her. She can't control me. And we can't control the broken world we're in. There could be a day, God forbid, that I would no longer be Brooke's husband. I'm the father of four amazing children that I am crazy about. But I don't control their world. There could come a day when, God forbid, one or all of my children is gone. A terrible accident, sickness. We, we live in a broken world. I cannot control those things. I can't be a good enough dad to protect my children from all that is broken in this universe. There's a day that all that could go. I know some of you know this reality so painfully well. I'm a pastor of Baraka Bible Church, and I love it. I love the role. I thank God for the role that I have in this, in this church. But we have an elder meeting next Sunday, and I don't know. They may be planning a vote. <laughs> if you hear anything, please let me know. Because I got dirt on these guys. I can use it. No, no. It's good. Uh, now listen. All of those things and many more. Things that I, I, when I, when somebody says, tell me about yourself. Um, I'm, I'm married to this amazing woman, Brooke, and I have four awesome kids, and I get to pastor this church that I love, these people. Listen, all of those things could be taken away from me. Every identity marker I have can be taken from me because I'm not all-powerful. I'm not all-knowing. I'm not everywhere at once. I live in a broken, messed-up world just like everybody else, just like you do. But being called into the household of God being rescued from the spiritual orphanage, brought into God's family. That is something nobody can touch. Jesus is in His Father. We are in Jesus. Jesus is in us. And that is all by the Holy Spirit. We who are in Christ, we are loved, we are provided for, we are saved, we are kept by God. And those things can be never, this can never be taken from us, no matter what comes. And that doesn't matter how I'm feeling. If I get sick, it's still true. If I am broke, it's still true. If I'm no longer a pastor, it's still true. If, I, if no one likes me, it's still true. If I die, it's still true. This is one thing nobody can take from us, brothers and sisters. It is, it is our primary identity. And, and from it then flows... Everything, how we live, how we see the world, how we see one another. And so this is what the Holy Spirit does. He rescues us from being spiritual orphans, pulls us in to the household of faith, and He gives us this marker for being known and loved and provided for and cared for and kept. This is our identity. And from that place of being made part of God's household, we begin to look like God's family then. And we're not going to dive deep into these verses in 21 to 24, but that's what he's saying. We begin to take on those family characteristics. It's not that we obey to get in, but we obey because we're in. So we believe in the Holy Spirit who, who brings us into God's family. Fourth, we believe in the Holy Spirit who is our lifeline to truth. He's our lifeline to truth. In verse 17, we kind of mentioned to come back to this. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of truth. Jump down to verse 25, though. 
Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So now consider the setting, right? He's speaking to the disciples. He's been with for now three years. He's spoken audibly, taught them audibly. And, and, and he says, the Spirit's going to bring back to your memory all the things that I've said to you. Now that promise has application to us, but it's indirect, isn't it? We, we understand it. The Spirit can't call back to our memory the things Jesus audibly said to us on earth. We weren't with Jesus on earth. And so, this is directed to the disciples first, but what the disciples did is they took those things that the Spirit later brought back to their memory after Jesus ascended and, 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 and taught them, and they wrote them down for us in the Bible. And this is what we're looking at. We look at in the books in the Bible, like the Gospel of John right here. So, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21 says it very succinctly, that men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit gives us the Word. He's the agent of preserving truth, of preserving truth in the Bible. And this is where it centers. But that's not the end of the Spirit's teaching work, brothers and sisters. It's not just in having it. It's not just in preserving it. That's huge, but that's not it. If that's all it was, the truth would still be outside of us. It would be like, uh, it would just be facts. It would be who explored Florida first. That's all it would be. But the Spirit doesn't stop there. He not only brings the truth to us, he, he enables us to believe it, to trust it, to, and to experience it. This is the, this is the thing about truth. It's, it's the nagging thing about truth. It imposes itself on us, isn't it? It's not an opinion. It, it's not like that. It, I was talking with a guy who was bagging groceries this week, and as the weather was you know, changing dramatically on Thursday... Um, I, we were talking, I was complaining about the cold, and he, he says, hey, see, he was telling me how much he really likes cold weather. He was from the north or something like that. I just called him a weirdo. No, just, I, don't, I don't get that, but that's his opinion. And, and there's no reason my opinion has to force itself on him, and there's no reason his opinion has to force itself on me. But listen, if it's 20 degrees outside, it's cold. <laughs> Doesn't matter what, I, what kind of weather I like. Uh, that forces itself on me. And truth does that. And so, with that in mind, just think the Holy Spirit, he, he helps us by not just giving us the truth, but by helping us receive it as truth. Softening us, humbling us to receive what the Bible is actually saying. To assent to its unbending truth. To believe it. And he doesn't even stop there. It's not merely a, this intellectual endeavor where, we, where we, we believe it at that level. He enables us to experience, he's, to see the glory of what's written here. That's the Spirit's work in us. The Spirit helps us go from saying, I don't have a clue what's true. The Spirit's working. So we, we say, okay, fine. I see what it's saying, but I, I'm not, I don't believe that. Two, his spirit's still working. Two, okay, I believe it. I don't really like it. Spirit's still working. Wow. It's amazing. That's glorious. That's beautiful. That's the spirit's work. That's what you experience in your life. And, and, and he works to change us from having just, any, just kind of a dry, barren, intellectual knowing of truth, like remembering the Spaniard who explored Florida, to, to in a way that doesn't impact my life, doesn't change you, to, to now enable us to believe it, to experience, to 
be changed by it to glory in it. So you get to a passage like, I was just, this is a passage that was on my mind this week. Colossians 1.17, the Spirit breathed, this is the Spirit breathed truth. He gave us this word that, that in Christ all things hold together. What a simple statement, but so profound. And I could see the Spirit working in my own heart this week and enabling me to believe that and, and giving me a sense of the glory of that truth. Wow. Every, wow. Every detail of my life held together by Christ. Isn't that amazing? And so and he, he began to work in me. So instead of going through my week frantically, and now if you watch me, maybe you thought I was, but there's, this was a struggle in me. We're, and this is not unusual for us, is it? To hold, try to hold everything together. And we measure my life by, based upon my to-do list and how, how successful I was and checking things off and getting things done and keeping everything managed. And, and, and that's how we can view life. But the Spirit was gracious to, to enable me to, to really believe and to glory in these words that in Christ all things hold together so that, so that he's, he's holding things together even when I'm not working on them. And Friday when I was bed sick he was holding all things together when i didn't get to do anything i wanted to do and and he's gracious to to work in us that's the spirit of god that's not us it's not some intuitive uh, natural thing for us that's the holy spirit working in us and he does these things he can do them because he's god he can do them because he's god who is indwelling us forever he can do those things because we, he's brought us into this, this new family that is a recipient of this overflow of, of the fellowship of the triune God and because he's this lifeline to the truth. And that brings us to the last and final statement. is that We believe in the Holy Spirit who gives us peace. He gives us peace. Verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Remember the whole context of this upper room discourse. It's comfort for troubled disciples. He's speaking the comfort of the Holy Spirit, His presence. So in going to the Father, in leaving the Spirit with them, He's actually leaving His peace with them. And it's not peace like the world gives. He makes that clear. What does that mean? I, I mean just th- the world's peace is, is generally circumstantial or it's sentimental. What I mean by that is it's either peace that's based on your circumstances, and we, we can think like this. As long as I have fill in the blank, I'm okay. As long as I have my health, my, my house, my job, my family, then I'm good. But the problem of that, of course, is if you lose that, it doesn't just sadden you, it devastates you. Circumstantial peace. And it can be taken away in a moment. One phone call. Right? One knock at the door. One text message. And, and, and it's gone. So it's, 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 that's, the, that's the worldly peace. Circumstantial. Or, or it's sentimental peace. Just kind of a general feeling that the, that, the, that the universe is benevolent and things are going to work out for me in the end. And so that, that's what's behind most self-help literature today. It's just this, if you think that enough, if you tell yourself that enough, it's going to happen. And things will go well for you. The problem with that, of course, is there is this thing called reality <laughs> that's outside of you. And, and it doesn't change. And so you can't just think, out of, think that out of existence. So remember the 20 degree example. 
If it's 20 degrees outside, it doesn't how, it matter how much I tell you, tell myself it's 80 degrees. It's still 20 degrees. And if I, if I go out there in shorts and a tank top, uh, I'm going to feel the consequences of that, right? And if you're looking at me, you're going to throw up in your mouth a little bit, probably, if you see me. And so there, there's, this, there's this very specific reason Jesus does not give that kind of peace to his disciples. Sentimental, circumstantial peace. Because what? Jesus knows bad things are re- really bad things are about to happen to them. That's not the kind of peace. He's been telling them that he's, going, he's about to go, he's about to be crucified. And he tells them, if that's how they treat me, how do you think they're going to treat you? Servant's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Jesus knows these things are going to happen. They can't think them out of existence. The disciples need a better peace than positive thinking. Brothers and sisters, we need a better peace. We need a peace that's not not tied to our circumstances. But we also need a peace that's not detached from reality that's outside of us. And that's the kind of peace Jesus gives us by his Spirit. It's peace that can look ahead at genuinely bad things and still, according to Jesus, not be, not be undone. doesn't mean that we paste on a smile, but we're not troubled or terrified, ultimately. And it's His peace. It's His peace. It's the peace Jesus has. Jesus, and you think about that, Jesus knows He's about to be crucified. He's about to die a brutal death and, and he's at peace. He's not telling himself, you know, bad things aren't going to happen to me. No, he knows they actually will. So where does he get this peace? Well, the things that he keeps saying to himself and keeps saying to his disciples, I'm going to my father. I'm going to my father. This is repeated throughout this. That's what gives him peace. He's saying, even though I'm facing death and torment and pain, I know in the end I'm going to my Father. I mean, have, have you ever worked really hard on something? I hope yes. But you, you've worked hard on, and done well at something, like a test that you take at school or some work project, and you, 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 you anticipate getting to present this before the company. You, you can't wait for that moment. You can't wait to get that result. You look forward to that which is not the way you look, you know, other tests that you don't do well, but you know you do well. You look forward to getting that grade. Well, even, even though bad things may happen in the meantime and in your day, you, you're still looking forward to it. It gives you peace. That's a silly example, illustration. But this is, this is to, to illustrate what this kind of peace Jesus has. Jesus is saying, I know I've done all things well. I have accomplished the work the Father gave me to do. And even though my, even through death, my Father will receive me and will be pleased with me. Now the question is, how does that peace become our peace? How does his peace become ours? You can tell yourself you've done all things well, but that whole reality thing is going to come back and bite you, isn't it? Because you haven't. There are a lot of things you should have done that you didn't do. There are a lot of things that you should do that you haven't done. Um... You can't, you, you can't just keep telling yourself, hey, I've always tried my best. I've always worked, I've, I've, I've tried to do things. And, and that's how I know th- good things are ahead for me. That's not enough. You haven't. We haven't always done our best. We're not even close. So how can Jesus' peace become our peace? How can he give you the same peace he has? 
Well, think about this. For all the peace that Jesus has going to the cross, when he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane, remember the scene. The last place he is before he's taken away to be crucified, he's sweating drops of blood. His soul, the scriptures say, is in turmoil. He's in agony. He doesn't sound in the garden like a man who's done well and is ready to be rewarded when he's in the garden. He sounds like a man in dread of judgment, of punishment. Father, if you can take this cup from me, please let it be so. Why? Because he sounds like he's dreading judgment because that's what he's about to become on the cross. Our sins credited to Him as He's punished for us so that His righteousness could be credited to us. That's what He's facing. So even though He knows He's returning to the Father on the cross, the only, this is the only time in the Bible where Jesus speaks of His Father and He doesn't say Father. He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So this is, this is the big idea. Jesus can give you His peace because He took your punishment. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. Christ has offered to God a perfect righteousness. He has offered to God a full payment for your sin. He has risen from the dead and received resurrection life. He is seated at the Father's right hand. And, and, but none of those benefits, none of those things benefit you as long as Christ remains outside of you and you remain outside of Christ. So it's the Holy Spirit that brings this truth to you and me. He enables you to believe it. He enables, He connects you to it. He enables you and give to give you, He gives you this experience of it. And He and He changes you by it. He gives you Christ peace. What Jesus said, He said, I am the truth. And, and, and it's, the, it's, the, it's the truth the Spirit brings to you. And it, it's this truth that of, of who Jesus is that the Spirit brings to you, enables you to believe, gives you the experience of, and to glory in it. And, and this is what the Spirit's primary role is. It's pointing us to Jesus. He is, he is consumed with Christ. Jesus said in John sixteen fourteen, He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He, he, he's, he's, he's always pointing us to Christ. He's crazy about Jesus. He's always talking about Him, always pointing to Him, always making much of Him, always trying to get us to see another part of Him. Look at Jesus. Look at Him, how amazing He is. Look at, look at the, 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 His power and the miracles He performs. Look at, look at His interactions with the woman at Samaria. Look at, look at how He handles and treats the wee little Zacchaeus. I mean, this, 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 see how He interacts with these people. This is what the Spirit is doing. He won't stop with the whole Jesus is awesome thing. He's pointing us to Christ over and over. And so, I would just say, if your experience of the truth, so we're talking about here the Spirit's work in you, and He, and he doesn't, just, uh, uh, doesn't just present the truth, He doesn't just cause us to believe the truth, He, he allows us to experience it, to glory in it. And if you're saying, again, backing up to earlier, saying, ah, it's not there. It's not there. I'm not feeling it. Um, you feel, if you feel this lack... You, you hear me say the Spirit helps you glory in the truth and, and you're saying, ah, that's not me right now. Well, one, 
just realizing that is God's grace. That's his, I think that's evidence of his spirit in your life. I'm glad there is at least a desire for it, some kind of thirst and hunger for it, a, recogni- a recognition of maybe how weak you perceive it to be. But if that's you, and to some degree it's all of us. Can anybody, any one of us say, we, we, you know, I, I'm experiencing and seeing all of the glory of Christ that there is. No. We all, we all want to grow, and this is eternal. For eternity we'll be growing and understanding the glories of Jesus Christ. But if you want that, the way to get it is not by focusing on the experience of it. This is what we end up doing. We end up turning in on ourselves and saying, I've got to get more. I've got to get more feeling. I've got to get more sense of it. I just, I just want more of it. I, I want this kind of weird kind of urge inside of me. And we, we, we start looking at ourselves. No, we desire the experience, but listen, we aim at Christ. We aim at Christ. We look to Him. This is what the Spirit helps us do. We don't spend our time thinking about our lack of experience and how weak we are and how pitiful our experience of God is. Instead, we spend our time thinking about Christ and believing who He is. This is why we're spending this time in the Apostles' Creed. This is why we gather on the Lord's Day and preach Christ and, and, and gather and eat and drink and remember Christ at the table and we teach in Sunday school classes and we're, we're preaching the, rehearsing the gospel to ourselves daily thinking about Christ's glory His grace, meditating upon who He is, what He's done and I don't mean meditate on the, all the things that He wants from you and, and what feelings you think you should be having but I mean who He is, what He's done, what He promises that's where your gaze should be So the Spirit helps us. He helps us to see our connection with Christ far exceeds our remembrance of the fact of who first, what first European discovered Florida. Even if you're a Floridian. So maybe it has more of an impact on your life than mine. But, but my connection to Christ by the, by the Spirit far exceeds my connection to my great-great-grandfather, Milton Billington. I'm personally connected to him, but I've never, I've never met him. He was dead long before I was born. But if the Spirit is in you, you, just don't, you don't just know about Christ, you know Christ. You are vitally connected to him. If the Spirit is in you, you don't just know Christ the way that I know some of you. You are in Christ, and he is in you by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to you. That's, that's profound. That's, that's the kind of peace that Jesus gives when he gives us his Spirit. That's, the world can't give that. You need it, I need it, receive it today. So this is what we say. I believe in the Holy Spirit. We confess this together. We believe this together. He is God. He he will be with us. He will be in us forever. He, He brings us into the family of God so we enjoy the overflow of triune fellowship. He is our lifeline to reality, to truth, and he gives us peace. What a, what a confession we make. This was, this was of tremendous comfort to those first disciples. And it should be tremendous comfort to us in our troubled hearts today. Let's pray. Lord, would you work in us by your Holy Spirit that we wouldn't just have heard these things, we wouldn't, we wouldn't just understand them, but that we would really believe them and trust in them, experience them, see the goodness and glory of them, and be changed by them. Work in us, Lord. These truths we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.